We did start last Sunday a series, it'll, it'll be going for a while, on deception and truth, truth versus error, truth versus a lie, all in the context of spiritual truth, spiritual deception, not just uh, you know some, somebody trying to pull a Ponzi scheme on you, and, you know, or something like that financially, but the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. Um, and we are living in perilous times, the Bible says. The Bible says that. And we're, gonna, we're just going to take our time and go through. Last week we kind of gave an introduction about this. What is the source of the, the error? Where does it come from? Is it just some wackos out there? We might paint it the picture that way. Some wackos preaching a false doctrine or some crazy thing going on in this church down the road or a new movement in the church. Yes, all those things happen. But the source behind it is Satan. I'm not over-exaggerating. The Bible says that. He is subtle. And he is uh, he seduced Eve, the Bible says. So we see the very first sin, the very first temptation to sin, he, he, he is, the serpent was more subtle than all the beasts of the field. And he said, Yea, hath God said. And he brought into question, what? The Word of God. Every error, every false doctrine... Is, and, and I've heard it put this way before, puts a question mark where God has put a period. The Lord said, in the day that you eat of it, this fruit, you shall surely die. And there was a period there. You, God's speaking it, right? You shall surely die. You don't have to eat of it, but in the day that you would eat of it, you shall surely die. Yea, hath God said, you shall, you shall surely not, not surely die. That's what the serpent told Eve. And so what is he doing? He's putting to question what God has put a period behind. And so we can find the root of all deception, another gospel, another Jesus, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, another spirit that you haven't received up to this point, you might well receive. And so he was concerned for the Christians. He was concerned for the church in Corinth. And I would say it's a concern that God has for his people. That's why he goes to such great lengths to talk to men and women in the church through his word, Old Testament and New Testament, about deception and how to detect truth from error. How do you identify a false prophet as opposed to someone who's speaking in the name of the Lord the truth? Uh, what's, what's the judgment for false prophets? So how do we keep clear of that? What's the importance? What's the big deal? Uh, and and our, our ability to stand in truth is under always being attempted to be undermined by the devil. Our, our ability to walk in truth, know truth, hold to the truth, stand in truth, preach that truth to others, warn other believers about deception. And so we're going to go through this series. And, and today I'm just going to play, I hate to even use the word phrase, but you understand what I mean, devil's advocate for the first couple of seconds here, if you'll just listen to me. And that's what I'm doing here, okay? What's so bad about a little error. Can't Christians or pastors uh, have their own opinions about some things? By the way, none of us have, uh, after all, none of us have has it all figured out. We don't all have a monopoly on biblical truth or doctrinal truth. Do you think that you have it all figured out? Remember, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Uh, shouldn't we focus more on the things that unite us? within the church rather than the things that divide us. Doctrine divides. 
little statements that I've heard before. Love wins. Love and grace is stronger than all that divides us. Who are you to tell me who to love and so forth? And this, this is the age in which we're living. Okay, you could add 50 other statements to mine or 100, okay? But with one particular thought in there sticks out to me, because I've heard it before in some books that I've read in the emergent church, is that do you, nobody's got it all figured out. And so because their, their reasoning would be none of us in the church, pastors, followers, leaders, none of us has it all figured out. So therefore, it's almost a sin on their, in their minds to stand dogmatically upon some type of biblical foundation and truth and say, no, here, here's the framework. Okay, I don't have it all figured out. But I'll tell you what we do have. If you're born again, we have a lot that we do know. There's much that God has given us. And He would fully expect us to stand upon that rock of Jesus and the Word that He's given us. Do I have it all figured out? Do I have every doctrinal, uh, uh, perfect doctrinal understanding of everything and can visualize what the Lord looks like in heaven right now or something? No, I do not. But I can stand on what I do know, and it's a lot more than we think. We know Christ, we know His Word, we have His Word. And we are to stand upon it. I heard a, a saying one time, or a phrase, and I think it's a good one. Beware of asking the way when God has already shown it to you. Beware of asking the way. Lord, is this of you? Is this right? When He's already showed it to you. Because the only thing that can come from that is confusion. I'm talking about things that He's already showed you, not things you don't know yet. And things I don't know yet. I'll go before the Lord. I'll seek God. Give me understanding. You understand what I mean? He teaches us. We're leading. He's leading us. He's growing us. Personal things in our lives, like Lauren going to the mission field. The Lord led her. Uh, that's ongoing through our lives. But there's much we do know. Don't ask. Don't put into question what God has already shown you to be true. That gender's confusion and fear. And you're finding people that are going back. They want to go back to the ancients. They want to go back to the desert fathers. They want to go back to all kinds of stuff that they never knew before. And they're already believers. Don't do that. Keep your eyes on the Lord. If God wants to send you some extra biblical book or material to, to bless your life in some way, that's fine. He can do that. Remember I said last week, beware if anybody says... You're a Christian and they're a Christian and they're going to pull out this book or this video or this what's happening in Pensacola, Florida or what's happening over here. You've got to go hear this guy. He'll change your life. You have to read this book. It will change your life. The only book that's going to change my life is going to be this book. Okay? For the better. And I mean that. I don't mean that that there's not wonderful Christian books. I read them. I'm very careful about what I read. I'm very careful about who I endorse. And I don't want to act like we're the only ones with truth or we're the only ones that are right or, or you know, that no Christian books are good. I'm just saying I'm careful. I want to be careful. And so I don't have to have those things. And this is the age in which we're living. And this is the attitude, those little phrases I set out like, you know, we don't want to put God in a box. You're putting God, you, you fundamentalists, I guess that's what they call us. You're putting God in a box. You're limiting God. And, and again, I'm not limiting God to anything other than what He has revealed Himself to be. 
I, I'm not creating an idol where I can make God what I want Him to be and then follow that. That's idolatry in a different sense. We think of idolatry as being a totem pole or a golden statue that, that Nebuchadnezzar set up you know, in Babylon. But it's, it, we can even create a Christian God and follow after Him. But we can't do that if we're walking in the truth and, and fighting for the truth. I want to read this Scripture. This is our, kind of our theme for today. If you want to look at it, Jude, it's only one chapter. This was the half-brother of Jesus. His incidentally was not a follower of the Lord until after the resurrection. In Jude, verse 4, it says this. Well, we'll read 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend, I mean struggle or fight, for the, for the faith which was once, not a bunch of times, not a bunch of different faiths, a bunch of different Gospels, that you would earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men. Now this was in Jews' day. Okay? There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what, what do we know, first of all, just even for this passage, is that there are men that have crept in. They crept in. And this is deception, okay? We're talking about deception. There's a characteristic about deception. It's deceiving, okay? It's subtle. That Satan doesn't come say, I'm Satan, quit following Christ and follow me. We know too much. We were not about to do that. But there are certain men that crept in unawares. And we said the origin of it all, Satan is the liar and the father of lies, Seducing spirits and what? Doctrines of who? Devils. That's what's coming in the end times and all through time, but more in our day. And so they crept in unaware. And what do they do? They make themselves as one of you and me. They make themselves out to be a devoted follower of Christ. And at some point, okay, at some point, their fallacy begins to be evident. It's going to be in their words. It's going to be, yea, hath God said. It's going to put into question things that we know to be true. It's going to be confusion. And you'll leave a sermon uh, after sitting under their ministry or, or a Sunday school lesson or a book that you read that they wrote. And you scratch your head and you're, something's just, I don't know about that. But everybody else seems to be going along with it. Everybody else seems to, to think it's great and not question anything. In fact, they're saying it's the best thing they've ever heard and the church has never been stronger. The church has never been better. And they're following along with it. And so there's a subtlety to it. And those little statements that I made about not putting God in a box and none of us has it figured out. Do you think you do? Would you, how would you combat that? This is how I like to look at it. Whatever the error is. And we're going to look at one. We're going to pull out one error today. Okay? That's a common, a false doctrine in our day. And we're going to look at it. But it really doesn't matter that we pull that one out. My, I believe the Lord's purpose in this series, certainly that we draw closer to the Lord, we study His Word, we cling to the Lord and to His Word and stay in the safety there. But also that you and I, from the youngest here, taking notes, and thank God for them taking notes, to the, to the oldest, that we would be able to combat it. At least in our own lives and minds. In other words, we hear it. 
how biblically would I, how would I answer that biblically? What is wrong with that? Where do I go to find out what's wrong with it? You know what I'm saying? People don't even know where to start. Some people might run to their pastor. Nothing wrong with that. We need to run to the Lord. We need to run to His Word. We need to be able to judge it by the Word of God. All judgment is not bad. There's a good judgment. Okay? A discerning. And that's what the word discern means. To judge. To discriminate. All discrimination is not bad. If I'm discriminating between light and darkness, truth and error, what's of God or what's another spirit, not only is it not bad, it's needful. It's absolutely necessary. And so, hopefully through these sermons, we're going to start getting some mindset. How, how do I get... How do I protect myself and maybe others around me that God would lead me to warn from the false? Not just the particular false, but in general. How, what do I do about it? And so I want to read this. It can be tricky, y'all. It's, it's very, so much of it is very subtle. I know I've shared this before, but I can remember, I don't have a clue how many years ago, when Brother Clinton and, and, and my relationship with him used to, to come and minister and I would a lot of times I'd be the one picking him up like from his hotel or wherever he was staying and bring him to eat or bring him to church and we'd have a little time just ourselves and probably meant a lot more to me than it did to him but it doesn't really matter I remember I, most of the time I would listen and not say a whole lot but I remember saying brother Clinton Clinton and this might have been 20 years ago that it seems like the uh, the error is getting more subtle. Not, not less dangerous. The error is getting trickier. The false doctrine is getting trickier. It's looking more like the real. And that to me, personally, is something I felt like the Lord showed me. Not that it's a great revelation, but it's something He showed me. That's, that's what makes it so deadly. That's what makes it so effective. Gold dust coming down from the ceilings of, of Jerry Lynn Cadillac is not going to fool any of us that thinking it's a, this great revival. Okay? Glitter. I could throw, have some machine that spits out glitter out of the air conditioner. Alright? At the right moment. And we could say it's the Shekinah glory. And none of us are going to be fooled by that. Pray His glory would fill this place. Understand what I'm saying? Uh, but something that's subtle and takes what we know to be true and hold dear and you pervert it. That's what it, perversion is a twisting. We've talked about it. And it makes it something that's not quite what it was. And it may discount other parts and, and magnify other parts of doctrine or Scripture or Jesus. And this is where I feel that I would be more susceptible. And I would say good grounded believers would be more susceptible to being deceived. And so, I just want to read this. And, and I, you don't have to even turn there, but you know the, the, the account in the Bible where uh, Jacob and Esau were brothers and, and Jacob it deceives his father. It's right before he runs away, right? And, uh, and it's, I'll just read this. And you know what he did? He, he, his father was old and he was close to that time of dying and, and he lost his eyesight, some of his physical faculties. And, and so he, it was time for him to bless his two boys. The older would always get the the primary blessing from the Father, especially in that culture in that day. It represented something very uh, big. 
So Jacob was going to steal his brother Esau's blessings. Now we know in a larger sense, God had it all ordained. But still, he was a supplanter. He was a deceiver at this time. So Jacob goes and he, he, uh, he puts animal skins upon him to where he would feel like his brother, who was, the Bible says, was rough and hairy. All right? He wanted to feel like his brother since his dad couldn't see too well. So he's going, and this is that moment, and he's going to the, his father's bedside. Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him. Jake, Isaac feels him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And there's a little thought. I didn't come up with it, but I heard it before. You, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And too many times we go by our feelings. Too many times Christians, you sound like Jacob, and that's what he should have gone with because that was the truth. It was Jacob's voice. You sound like Jacob, but you, you sure feel like Esau. I'll go ahead and bless you. You know, like you're Esau. And he was deceived. It says he discerned him not because his, he felt hairy like his, his brother. And I just thought of that. We, we are not called to live by our feelings. God gives us feelings. Thank God we're not robots. He gives us emotion and passion and we've got to worship Him that way and love our neighbor that way and, and serve God with great strength and vigor and passion. We're not against those things, but we're not governed by those things. That is not my compass. That is not my uh, guide. That is not my standard. That is not the, my authority. I'm not governing. And the world will tell you, a lost world will tell you, follow your heart. Follow your dreams. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, judge, try the hearts and reins of men. Thank God I don't follow my heart. Thank God I follow the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. And I desire to. And we have to. Because any of us, any of us from here to there can be deceived. We can be. Our, we don't have to be and we don't live in fear that we will be because we have a very real protection from that. Okay, which we'll talk about in further weeks. The Word of God primarily and the Spirit of God. Those two primarily together. But uh, aren't you thankful that God, the Lord has not left it up to each one of us to define truth? Define your own truth and walk in that. I, I'm glad you pick the paint colors on your wall if you want to at your house, okay? Or you want to plant this kind of plant or some other kind of plant. There's so many things we can choose. What you wore today. But when it comes to my eternity, knowing God or not knowing God, going to heaven or going to hell, being deceived and find out later I was serving Satan and I thought I was serving the one true living God, I'm glad that He didn't leave it up to me. Here's the way. Walk you in it. Okay? And He's told it to us. I'm glad He didn't leave me to define truth and to create my own truth and then walk in that. Almighty God, the Maker of heaven and earth, the one true living eternal God has defined truth. And you cannot separate truth from the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you can't separate those two. We can in the sense that we know Jesus is Jesus, but in the sense of Him calling Himself the truth, there's a reason that He did that. Okay, And so, He has defined truth for us. I'm going to use the Scripture probably every sermon in this series, but John 17, 17, you ought to highlight in your Bible. At the Last Supper, the Lord says, Sanctify them 
speaking to his father about his disciples in, a, in prayer. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Truth is not subjective. It's not up to for you and I to, uh, uh, to debate. His word of truth, the Bible says, is forever established or settled in heaven. That word settled. We know the scripture is forever settled in heaven. It, it means established. It's set. It's upright like a pillar. That's literally the definition. When it says his word is settled, it's stood up like a pillar. It's strong. It's established. It's not going to be moved. Waves could crash against it. Winds could blow against it. Armies could come against it. Satan could bring all his attacks against it. His word is forever set up like a pillar. Things will bounce off of it. If nobody believes it, it's still the truth. If everybody believes it, it's still the truth. People are debating it. It's still the truth. Uh, the Lord's truth is not up for debate. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not fluid. It's not evolving. It's not changing. It's like some people say our Constitution. But I don't, I don't want them to be my uh, Supreme Court justices. Oh, the Constitution is fluid. It's an evolving document. No, our founding fathers said what they said. Okay, here it is. doesn't change. And so, uh, but it, it, it doesn't, God's truth doesn't change by whims of society, our governments, our rulers, our opinion polls. Men may accept the truth and believe and hold to the truth, or they may reject it. They can never change it. Okay? Men may believe it, thank God for it, like Lawrence gets to share the gospel. A lot of people reject, some believe. But the truth doesn't change. Her message isn't going to change next time she goes back because so many are rejecting it. What if nobody ever accepted it? Well, ask Noah what that's like. We don't know. He's a preacher of righteousness. The Bible tells us. And nobody got on that ark but him and his family when, it, when the time came. So he still did what God called him to do. The truth is the truth. God did bring the judgment on the whole earth, didn't He? And He's going to bring judgment for those that don't know Christ. I want to read this scripture. The Bible says in Romans 1. And in fact, you can go on and turn there because we're going to read a good bit of Romans 1 in a little while. But in verse 25, it says, Who changed, these are Christ's rejectors, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Jordan and Patricia kind of almost touched on that a little bit in Sunday school. Um, but the. They didn't actually, it says that in verse 25, they changed the truth of God into a lie. They didn't really change it. Fundamentally, they didn't change the truth. That's not the meaning of the scripture here. They exchanged the truth for a lie. They swapped it out. They had the truth when they knew that God, they worshiped him not as God. And it says they exchanged, they changed the truth of God. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And so you can't really change truth. The truth is established, settled in heaven. I want to stay there. God wants us to stay there. Don't live in fear of being deceived. Don't be afraid to open up your blinds in the morning and look out at the sunshine, you know, thinking you're going to be deceived. Stay close to God. He's more than able to keep us, but that's how He keeps us. He keeps us in His Word. He keeps us by His Holy Spirit and by the discernment He's given us. He sanctifies us by that truth. His Word is truth. And so, um, I want us to look at one example today. And, and not, not quite yet, but just a moment, we're going to watch like a minute and a half video. We haven't, haven't done this. Uh, now we have this modern technology, and we really something. We can show a video. I'm teasing. Uh, 
Well, I want to look at one popular, influential Christian evangelical pastor. Again, the, the error and the deception we're looking at is not the, the deception of Hinduism or Satanism or yoga or something like this. We're, we're looking, what we're looking at is within the church what's under the big canopy of Christianity, Christian pastors, teachers, leaders, the Christian bookstore, and so forth, and, and people being deceived to something that's not of God, following, it, following after it. And so we're going to look at this one. There are many. There will be many more. I don't feel that my responsibility is to, to research every false thing out there. That's all I would be doing. There's a new, there's a new seducing spirit and a new doctrine of the devil Every day. And really, none of it's new in one sense. It's all a lie. It's a perversion. But I think we need to be knowledgeable and know what's going on in our day. But I, I need to be more knowledgeable of Christ and walking with Him. Amen? And, and so, um, I, as I said at the beginning, I pray that this, what we're going to do today by looking at this and then combating it is to, to, to strengthen us to know how to combat whatever the error is, whatever the, quote, Christian error is. And so, Josh, if you would play that, I pray you can see it. It's only about a minute and a half long. This, this leader is named Tony Campola. Some of you all probably heard of him. He is well-known. I pray we can get it going. He is, uh, he was Obama's spiritual advisor, you know, when he was in, in the White House. And very influential Young people are not thinking the same way as the old people are in this. And they are not necessarily liberal. And they are, uh, in fact, uh, very conservative in many circles. It's just that young people have reached a point where they say there is something that transcends our differences on this issue. And it is our commonality in Jesus Christ. speak about homosexuality. That transcends this issue. Let me put it this way. Those who make it such a strong issue over the fact that in Romans, the first chapter, we have these very forceful words uh, prohibiting gay and lesbian uh, erotic behavior, I said that nicely, have to be aware of the fact that uh, Jesus never addresses this issue directly. Now, one can say indirectly he talks about sexual sin, but he never addresses homosexuality. Say. Not that he didn't know about it, I mean, and the leaders in Deuteronomy, he knew the Hebrew Bible well, I mean, but he never addresses this as one of the big sins. He does address with great severity the Pharisees who are always laying these legalistic rules on people. I think it's in Luke, the other chapter, where it says, Go unto you, Pharisees, who lay this heavy burden on people, and then do nothing to lift that burden. And I think young people are saying, We're coming to the church, laying this incredible burden on gay and lesbian people, and does nothing to alleviate that burden. Okay. Okay, Tony Campola. My, I'm not here to demonize Tony Campola. I want to give you a real life example by doing this. I'm a real life person. He would call himself a Christian. He's a pastor of a church. He's a Christian leader. I also want to be sure that I pray for him. Okay? But, n nevertheless, uh, 
Christians have listened to this video because I know of a, a pastor that did an expose on this. And Christians in his church, and he's a good, as far as I could tell, a very solid Bible preaching pastor, okay? Said that believers in his church had watched this video. And the whole video is uh, of Tony Campolo's maybe 12 or 15 minutes. We just took out that one little part. And it caused them to, quote, rethink the whole way they looked at the Bible. That caused them to rethink the whole way they looked at the Bible. I, I picked this because it was such a good example, but don't think that my pet peeve is Tony Campola, or my pet peeve is even the sin of homosexuality. The Bible says what it says about that, okay? But the, this is more concerning to me that Bible-believing Christians would watch this and it would cause them, after many years of serving God and walking with the Lord, to rethink the whole way, quote, that they viewed the Bible. Is that not scary? That that man and that video, 12 or 15 minutes, the whole thing, would cause someone to rethink the way they look at the unchanging eternal Word of God. Now, I'll ask you this. Remember that the topic right here that he was talking about, that was from June of 2012. Seven years ago. Okay? The topic was homosexuality. Homosexuals. And is it a sin? And an acceptance of them within church and, and so forth. And is there any conflict between that and that lifestyle and being a believer and so forth. That's the whole context of what it's about. And so... He says, young people are not thinking the same on this issue. And he says, he says, the young people are saying there's something that transcends our differences and it's our commonalities in Jesus Christ and our love for Him. That transcends our differences on this issue. Those that, quote, make it such a strong argument, the fact that Romans 1 uh, we, we have such strong, forceful words prohibiting gay and lesbian behavior. Must be aware that Jesus never said, I'm quoting him, Jesus ne never said anything about it directly. He did indirectly and so forth. And, and I'm, I'm throwing out just to remind you what he said. Jesus never, quote, according to him, addresses it as one of the, quote, big sins. He does address severely the Pharisees which according to him, who are always laying these legalistic rules on people, but do nothing to relieve their burden. Young people are saying, we're tired of a church which lays increasing burdens on people, gays and lesbians, for example, and does nothing to relieve their burden. Now, I'll ask this. Was Tony Campola wrong? If so, we're just going to real quickly. How was he wrong? In what way was he wrong? Could you look at that less than two minute video? And just on that subject, in that video, was he wrong? And if so, could you biblically and through your knowledge of Christ and scriptures rebuff that and set it in order? 
This is what we're talking about. This is why we're doing this series on deception. There'll be another one tomorrow. You'll hear, you've heard, you've heard of deceptions that I haven't, and false doctrines, and so forth. And they're, they're always going to be coming out. I'll say, first of all, I'm going to address the last point first real quickly. Young people are saying we're tired of a church that lays increasing burdens on people and does nothing to relieve their burden. And can I say that this, that I'm offended by that? Nobody's so easily offended, okay? I'm going to say I'm offended by that. I'm offended by that because the true church of Jesus Christ doesn't lay anything, the true church of Jesus Christ does not lay anything on anybody other than what Almighty God has said in His Word. The true church doesn't. The true church of Jesus doesn't lay burdens on men other than what His Word says. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Repent and, and, and you'll be saved. On the day of Pentecost, that was part of Peter's sermon. Uh, and you'll be, your sins will be forgiven. Come and die that you might live. A true church is not going to add anything to that other than what God says. Okay? So that, that's an, an offense. But I want us to, to talk about, and this is in no particular order, I think it would be good to take notes just because it's something you look back to say, how do I build? we got a lawyer here. And, and I, 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 Paul was a lawyer. He was a Jewish lawyer. Okay? And I like to think sometimes with that legalistic mind, how do I set out an argument? Okay, here it is. Now let's, let's go to it now. Let's roll up our sleeves. Okay? Get out our Bible. And not that we have to know chapter and verse of every single thing, but we know the teachings of Christ. Certainly we don't do know many chapters and verses. And we're able to say, here's why this is wrong. Here's what the Bible says about this. Here's what the Bible says about this. You know, we we're talking about in Sunday school. In the book of Revelation, there's some uh, figurative speech. The, 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 any, the false prophet is going to be as a lamb, but he's not a lamb. Okay? Uh, when the Bible is to be taken literal, it's to be, it's to be taken literal. Okay? Unless it's figurative speech. So how do we even think about the Bible? So the first thing I want to say here is I want us to turn to and read Romans chapter 1. Not the whole chapter. We are going to read a good portion of it. If you're familiar with Romans 1, uh, you know, you know what, what God is dealing with in this passage. But we're going to kind of skip around. I'd like us to read verse 18 and then skip down to verse 21 just for time's sake. For the wrath of God, Romans 1.18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now we're getting more specific. Specifically here, what is it saying He gave them up to? It's an uncleanness within their bodies who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves their, the recompense of their, their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, uh, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, spiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So, let's look at it. What's, what's Tony Campola wrong on this issue? Absolutely. Absolutely, positively wrong on this issue and what he stated in that video. First, first area that we're just going to point out. He was, way in, he was wrong in the way that he approached the Bible or the scriptures, scriptures. Number one, that, that, that stands out. What was he doing? He was pitting one against the other. He was pitting Jesus against Paul. He was put, and, and that's a common thing. I know it firsthand, and you know it firsthand. Pitting Old Testament against New Testament. Despising one over here. Despising anything that has to do with discipline or law or obedience. Okay? And it just... Uh, magnifying grace. Well, God magnifies grace. We are what we are by the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith. But it's not one against the other. You understand that? It's not one against the other. It's both in the Lord. We're not saved by works of righteousness which we have done. Nobody can boast about their salvation. We're saved by grace. And so, that doesn't mean we turn around and despise works or serving God. They're not a means of righteousness, though. They're not a means to make a man right with God. That's a whole other story. And we really probably will get into that in one of these, these sermons. But I want you to see it's, he's wrong in the way he approaches the Scriptures. And he's really good at it. And he's really clever. And these people that do that are really good and they suck you in. They can twist it and turn it so fast you don't even know it's been twisted or turned. They really can. They get you off course in the first five seconds. And, and the whole rest of the time you're on their little course following their path. Don't check your brains out of the door like Dave Hunt used to say. Keep your mind, and I'm talking about the sanctified mind that the Lord's given us in Christ. And so, don't ever pit one part of Scripture against another. There's one divine mind that gave us the Bible. One divine mind. You know the Scripture? It's worth repeating. It's worth repeating often that all Scripture... And the time that this was written in 2 Timothy, the whole Bible wasn't even complete. So what was he referring to? Just like Jesus said, you do greatly err not knowing the Scriptures. Okay, all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, is given by inspiration of God. It's literally God-breathed. And it's profitable. It's profitable. For who? For Old Testament? The Old Testament's profitable for Old Testament people. And New Testament's profitable for New Testament? No. And it's all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God 
may be mature, right? And fulfilled and complete in every good work. And so don't do it. He makes, he makes an error, but he knew what he was doing. He wasn't just deceived. They're deceiving and being deceived. Maybe at some point he was deceived. But he is a deceiver now. Okay? And that is wrong and it's, it's wicked. No part of Scripture trumps another part of Scripture. The Bible is in complete harmony with itself. And there, like I said, there's one divine mind behind all of Scripture. And this goes along with that. So I'm going I'm to tie this to the second point. So first, he's wrong in how we approach his Scripture, pitting one part against another. In, in this sense, Paul against Jesus. Uh, Romans 1 against the rest. And we read what I wanted to read from Romans 1. Tony Campolo infers that Romans 1 is legalism of churches. Did you notice that? That that's a legalism of churches that young people said that's put upon people. So they're tired of these Christian leaders in churches that take Romans 1 and take, they called it legalism and puts it upon people and doesn't try to relieve their burdens at all. Just puts this heavy burden upon them. And he says that... Uh, That that Rome, you know, just one little place in Romans, it's mentioned homosexuality. That is not true. It's 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 just simply not true. We need to know our Bibles. It's for, homosexuality is forbidden as abominable and wickedness in God's sight. It's not the only thing. There's lots of things in God's eyes that are wicked and abominable. If I made it my pet crusade then that would be wrong and I would be out of balance. Okay, But if I underplayed it and, under, and diminished it as though it's not a big deal like he's doing, then I'm also not being true to the Lord and to His Word. And so uh, it's not legalism. You know, it's funny because in Romans 1 is also where we find I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God. But he's saying Romans 1 is this legalism that, that church leaders are trying to put upon their people. And I will say this, that God's Word, the whole thing, is, the Bible says a sharp two-edged sword, right? And it's wonderful, and it's powerful, and it's a blessing. But it can also be misused, can it? And we're seeing that in that video, and you see it in other examples in life, where it's misused. You wouldn't take a sharp two-edged sword and give it to a four-year-old and say, go have fun, son. You know, um, why not? It's a wonderful tool. It can do so many useful things. Well, you don't put it in the hands of somebody like that because it can be misused, right? God's Word is wonderful and it doesn't change, but it can be perverted and misused. That's why the Bible talks about the whole counsel of God. That's why the Bible talks about rightly dividing the Word of truth. All right? So I want to move on uh, just a little bit here. Uh, never does one part of the Bible cancel out another part or contradict another part of the Bible. You can start reading from Genesis and read all the way through. And a Savior was promised in Genesis 3. First sin. I always say it. Savior was promised in Genesis 3. It had nothing to do with the law of Moses. In that, in that context, a Savior was promised. So all through the dispensation of the law, a Savior was promised. And all the law, the law was given, the sacrifices, types and shadows for, to point men to Christ. Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings, thou wouldest not. David understood. He got it. He still loved the law. 
Isn't that funny? Because the law made him wise. The law brought him to Christ. The law was designed to do that. It says in Galatians 3, it's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. I don't turn around now and hate the law. Christ is a fulfillment. He came out of that. Now, I would hate going back under it. That would be a sin. We don't, we're not under the law in that sense. And so we have to rightly divide the word. Don't, don't pit one part against the other. If you ever heard this before, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And I can kind of go with that. There's a lot of things that are types and shadows in the Old Testament that we see through Christ's coming fulfilled in a church, in a church body, and the Holy coming of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I'll just point out another place where Tony Campola was wrong on this subject, okay? And, it, and I believe his, his motive or the whole reason he did it. Did you catch this at the very beginning? I know I've listened to it more than once and that's your first time, but he says the church needs to rethink its stand on homosexuality because, okay, so we perk our ears up. I would say there's no reason we need to rethink our... But he says we need to, first of all. And he sucks you right into the reason. It's just a given that we need to rethink it, according to him. But because young people don't think this, this way anymore. That's his reason. We need to rethink, the church needs to rethink its whole stance on homosexuality. Fill in the blank. Put, put idolatry in there if you want to. Put fornication if you want to. Put lying in there. The church needs to rethink its stance on this because young people don't think this way anymore. Really. That's, it's, first of all, that's not surprising that young people don't think this way anymore considering the entertainment that they look at and, and politics and, and what's going on around us and the lack of biblical teaching in our churches for young people, even the churches, to know where to stand on this or anything. It's not surprising at all if that is the case. The young people don't think the same on this issue anymore. But you know what, y'all? That, that has nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. We don't abandon biblical truth simply because it's be becoming harder to hold on to. We don't abandon biblical truth because it's, it's being more difficult and people aren't believing it anymore. The truth is the truth. It's the only safe place. It's the only truth. It's the truth. Okay? And it's in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. And the Bible says there are certain men crept in and unaware, as we read at the beginning, that, that are bringing in these damnable heresies, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They're twisting it. They're making it something that it's not. And so, uh, he's wrong. Y'all, I can't say how wrong that is. We need to rethink it because young people don't think this, this way anymore. You know, it's a sad day. And I know the Bible says in, in the context of within the church, Paul speaking to Timothy, let no man despise your youth. Okay? Uh, he, was, he was a pastor, Timothy was, in a, in a church, and he was younger probably than most of the people in his church. Don't be intimidated by that. You hold on to what you got. God's called you to this and you walk in that. But there's been such a reversal nowadays where young people are elevated above everybody. They can do no wrong. In certain circles. And y'all, that's there to be learned. The Bible says older men teach the younger men that they may teach others. Older women teach the younger women that they may teach others. Does that mean I can't learn from somebody younger than me? That's not what it's saying at all. It's just showing a pattern. 
okay, a pattern of how it's to be. And uh, thank God for young people that serve God and can teach His Word. Amen? But, but anyway, so that, that's all, that was a big one. That we need to rethink think it because young people don't think that way anymore. Let me keep moving on. Tony, Tony Campolo is wrong on this issue because he says Jesus didn't talk about it much. Specifically, he said it's, Jesus didn't talk about it at all. He never addressed it. And he said that Jesus didn't make it one of the, quote, big sins. Who are we, first of all, to discern, determine the size of sin? All sin is missing the mark. All sin, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And leaven in that context is sin. And it can also be false doctrine. But either way, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Uh, and therefore, it's not, he, Jesus never made it one of the big sins. It just makes me sick. It makes me mad to watch someone like that and know how skilled he is at that. He knows the Bible. Okay? He knows the Bible. And he chose to say that. And now he's, he's taken a stand and he's tried to move the church from where, where it is and certainly his followers. And he has a lot of them. Um, Jesus didn't. That's not true. His statement about that, about Jesus never addressed it. Almighty God condemns it. Jesus is God. OK, and I'm the Lord. I change not. So he's all through the Bible. He condemns it. Sodom and Gomorrah was judged severely, you could say for all kinds of sins, but specifically we saw the Bible allowed us to see a, a picture of what, what it was like in Lot's day and what was going on there, right? And God judged it. He judged it severely. He judges all sin. But it's not for Him to say Jesus never addressed it. He's God. Christ is God. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Jesus, the, the Son, is God. I believe in a Trinity, and I don't understand how it all works perfectly, but the Son is the everlasting Father. And He did speak about it. Amen? He did speak about that sin. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's totally disingenuous of this man to do this. He condemns it as wickedness. Alright? Homosexuality. In fact, any, any sexual relationship outside of one man and one woman in marriage, any, that would include homosexuality, right? Is condemned as being wickedness. So it's not fair or right for him, or true for him to say, Jesus doesn't address it, and it's not one of the big issues. Can I tell you, there's a lot of things that Jesus didn't address directly that every believer knows from knowing Christ and knowing the Word of God. Did, did Jesus ever address, address uh abuse of little children. Sexually abusing little children. Did he, do you ever read a, a scripture on that? Can you per, point to chapter and verse on that? No, you cannot. But do you think God's okay with that? you understand the point? We know clearly, of course. And we're not having to just make it up and say, I really believe He's against it. We know that He's against that. And so, that's, that's a, a, a horrible argument that He makes there. I got two more. We're going to point out real quickly. Tony Campola is wrong and that he ignores God's warning. And I want us to turn. We read a warning in Romans chapter 1. Okay? But I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture, especially the end. 
We're going to read 6, 9 through 11. No turn with me there. This is the last scripture we'll probably turn to and read together. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. So there's a warning, right? The Lord's given us a warning in, in His Word. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor abusers of themselves, nor effeminate, nor I'm sorry, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. There's a period there. He's, he's finished with that thought right there. They're not. The warning and the admonition is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. These people are not going to heaven. It's not saying that a person that ever committed one of these sins, even for lived that way for 25 years or their lifetime, can't go there. It's saying that someone who is that, let's keep reading one more verse and we'll stop. And such were some of you. So he's speaking to believers that are going to heaven. He just said none of these are going to heaven. These, these people are going to heaven. Why? Such were some of you, but you're washed. That's why they're going. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, not by works, fully by His grace, and by the Spirit of our God. And so there were people in the Corinthian church, just like there's people in churches all over this planet, that were some of those things, or all of those things. Thank God He can bring people out of that. And Tony Campolo ignores the warning though that God says, don't be deceived. Do y'all think, and we're talking about deception, right? I'm, I'm about to close, but the, the deception, y'all, is not from a lost man out there who has no ties to Christianity at all coming and telling me that homosexuals and drunkards and fornicators, they're going to go to heaven one day when they die. That's not the context. The context is, I believe that Paul's saying there's going to be people in the church that tell you, don't be deceived. They're going to tell you these people are oh, fine. They're okay. They're okay to practice that. And they're going to go to heaven one day. That's the warning. Don't be deceived. These people are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven in that state. Can they be born again? Absolutely. Okay? But in that state, they cannot be. Y'all, it's going to become harder and harder for people, and tell me if this is not true, for people in, to believe in a God that they, would, they think would judge people eternally to an eternal hell. People are rejecting that thought. I, don't, I choose not to believe in a God like that. My God is a God of love. My God would never send somebody to hell for that. And that thought, and that little sentence, is not just in a lost world. They don't know the Lord anyway. But within churches, there are more and more people that finding it hard to believe in a God that would judge someone eternally for who they loved, quote, or for some temporary act that they committed. And yet, that's what, that's what the Word of God teaches. Christ rejectors, and He goes to a specific point to name those specific sins there. It's not the only sins, but He names them there, right? And He tells us that. And again, you hear the phrase, this is on college campuses. This is on, on Christian college campuses, like seminaries. Students wearing backpacks with their rainbow and the pro-homosexual thing saying love wins. And seminaries, okay? 
Uh, who are, I've seen a billboard right here in Baton Rouge, pro-homosexual. Who are you to tell me who to love? Well, first of all, it has nothing to do with love, does it? Nothing to do with love. It has everything to do with thus saith the Lord and what God says in His Word. And it's getting harder and harder for people to believe in a God who would judge people that the world is perfectly okay with. The world is increasingly okay with this, right? So we don't want to believe in a God that's not okay with that, that would judge that. So he, he's wrong and that he warns, he, he refuses or ignores God's warning. And we could look at others in the Bible, okay? I'm about to close, I promise you. Don't be deceived. And the last thing, and I think the most tragic of all, you know what he does? Tony Campola in this video, and I watched the whole thing. Uh, he, he ignores God's great ability to save someone out of that. In other words, basically, we should just accept the people like this because God didn't call it a really big sin. And there sure were sins. Look at those Pharisees over there in that church over there. And so we should just accept these people and yet it robs them of the one true love that really can lift them out of that and of other sins in their life and make them new in Christ. Doesn't it do that? It makes them think they're okay where they are because young people don't think the way they did on this issue. Young people in the church don't think the way they did on this issue. And so we need to rethink, he says, how we, well, am I going to go preach the gospel to a, a person that I don't even know if they're homosexual or not? But I'm going to go, am I not going to preach it to them because I'm, I think they're okay? I want them to feel okay where they are. I say, what a, what a scheme. What a brilliant scheme of our enemy to talk about love and grace and love and grace, but deny the power to really lift them out by his grace. Talk about love and grace till you're blue in the face so much you want to throw up because it's all you ever hear about and not tell them about the One who came and, and to lift them out of that sin and darkness and by His grace can make you new. The Bible says that in the latter days it says there'll be men uh, that ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, uh, having a form of godliness, but what? Denying the power thereof. That to me is denying the power. It sounds warm and fuzzy and friendly and look how accepting and love. And yet it denies the power of God to redeem a homosexual person to where they're new in Christ. And isn't that just what we read in, in verse 11? Such were some of you were past tense, but now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So that argument denies or ignores God's power to save the sinner. From the vilest sin. I'm not saying their sin's any worse than any sin I commit. I'm simply saying that argument denies the power of God by His grace to truly transform a life and make them new. You don't have to be that way anymore. You don't have to be that adulterer. You don't have to be that drunkard. You don't have to be that thief anymore. You don't have to be that murderer anymore. You don't have to be that reviler anymore. You don't have to be that idolater anymore. You don't have to be that homosexual anymore. God can save you out of it and give you a new heart. He's the only one that can do it. That video and that argument denies God's or ignores or denies God's power to do that. And he came to do that. He came to seek and save the lost. So I said, what a clever argument of the devil. And I'm going to close with this scripture. We're in 1 Corinthians. Turn over to the love chapter, chapter 13. 
You know, again, there's so many of these modern teachers that speak much about grace and love. I do too. And we should. But it ought to be biblical grace and biblical love. God's ability to change the life. Look what it says about love in verse 6. And we're, this, we're closing with this Scripture. You can come on up if you want to. 1 Corinthians 13.6 Speaking about love. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in what? Have you ever thought about that? That's kind of interesting to think about. Love rejoices in the truth. Those almost seem like they don't even go together. It's like they're both wonderful, but what does love have to do with truth? Love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices. God is love. God is truth. Okay? His Word is truth. He rejoices in the truth. When we go to a homosexual person or a drunkard or a fornicator or just a good old boy that doesn't know Jesus, whoever it is, and we talk to him about the Lord, we love them. God loves them. He wants them to be saved. They're not going to be saved by a lie. They're not going to be saved by a perverted gospel. They're not going to be saved because I pat them on the back and say, I accept you. They're going to be saved by the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If the Son only, if the Son therefore had made you free, you shall be free indeed. And that is in context with speaking about sin. Jesus said whoever sins is a servant to sin. And so it's in the context of the Gospel and individual salvation. Okay? So love rejoices in the truth. Here's my point. If we're really going to love people as God loves them, speak the truth in love. Love rejoices in the truth. Love doesn't rejoice in that stuff that was spoken. Very clever. Very skillful. Probably knows the Bible much better than I do. Very skillful to twist and to pervert and to change, but it's not the truth. And it's not the truth of Christ and it's not the truth that sets men free. Because y'all, even a hard truth can set men free, right? Even a hard truth can set men free. We need to hear the truth. And I'll, I'll close with this thought. It's not, our, it's not our sentiment that sets people free. It's not our, should we love and be compassionate outwardly? Yes, we should be. But that doesn't set men free. The world can love with a worldly love like that as well. If I gave my body to be burned, it says, and have not loved the love of God, it profits me nothing. Certainly not going to profit anyone else anything. But the whole truth of God's Word is never condemning. The whole truth is not condemning. They need to hear the whole truth. And the whole truth does do something to relieve the burden off of sinners. He said they get tired of a church that heaps burdens on people and does nothing to relieve their burden. Christ does. Christ knows their burden and He, he lifts it. He says, come unto Me. We need to be His ambassadors. We need to be His servants. We can lift the burden. Christ can lift it through bringing the Gospel to them. I close with this thought. Any sinner, including a homosexual, okay? I don't even know. I almost don't even care. Any, anybody that doesn't know Christ ought to be able to come into this church, for example, or any true Bible church, and, and at the same time, feel both the love of the body and the truth. They ought to be able to feel the love of the body and the truth that's in Christ Jesus. Amen?
I just want to close with that. Y'all stand with me. I know it was long today. I apologize for going uh, so long. But y'all, I wanted to, to get through that, and we're not going to be that long every week. But just take a moment, if you would, to, to meet with the Lord. And, and Father, we just come before You in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that You would make us a people that walk in truth and that can rightly proclaim it and live it. Proclaim it to others, God. I pray our hearts wouldn't be shut up towards sinners, but it would be open wide towards sinners to bring them through saving faith to the knowledge of Christ. That they might be forgiven and cleansed and new in Christ. You know, they could one day say, you know, such were, such I, I was that way, but I'm not that way any longer. Now I'm washed, I'm sanctified, I'm justified. Help us, Lord, in this day in which we live. And we pray for this man. I've never met him, Tony Campola. God, I pray that you would open his eyes, Father. I pray to stop his mouth. I pray you would put the fear of God in him and his followers. I pray that you would open his eyes to the deceiving and being deceived and cause him to repent and turn to you. Have mercy upon him and those that heed him. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.